All right. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Nehemiah chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under a seat around you somewhere. As always, if you don't own one, we'd love to put one in your hands. You can just stop by the info desk on your way out. Um, we are in the, I think, like the eighth, ninth week, something, of our Nehemiah series. Uh, we've titled it Rebuilding. Uh, and up to this point in the series, if you've been with us or not, here's kind of the Cliff Notes version. Up to this point, the first, like, six chapters of Nehemiah have been all about the, uh, the building of, of the wall. So for context, uh, it's talking about this, the wall around Jerusalem. The people of God were, were in Jerusalem, but then they got driven out. Uh, because of their, long story short, because of their continual rebellion and disobedience, uh, they were overtaken by their enemies and sent into exile, and the city of Jerusalem is destroyed. And so the book of Nehemiah is, the first half of it anyways, is essentially the people coming back to the city, and they're working on the city and rebuilding the wall around the city. And so last week, that's kind of where we, we got to, was the wall had been completed. And that's where it picks up here in verse 7, if you, if you look at it. Verse 1, it says, now, when the wall had been built. So just so we're clear what's going on, the people are in the city, the wall has been built, and so now it's like, now what? Right? The wall is done. So if the story of Nehemiah was about the rebuilding of a wall and, uh, and kind of the rebuilding of a city, then we're done here. Right? The wall's built, everybody claps, the credits roll, and we can all go home. Right? But the book of Nehemiah is not primarily about the rebuilding of a wall. That's part of it. That's an important part of it. But the rebuilding of the wall really is kind of set in foundation for what uh, the back half of the book is about. And I would say really what Nehemiah is, is actually about. And that's the rebuilding of, of the people. And so uh, that's what we see in um, verse 4. Right? If you're in chapter 7, you scroll down to verse 4. It just says that, that the city was wide and large, but the people within it were few. Right, so you got the wall is built. There's people about somewhere around 50,000 people kind of in and around the city. Uh, and, and now we're at this moment where it's like, okay, now what? Right, now what? And so that brings us to chapter eight. So I'm going to read. We're going to make our way basically through the whole chapter this morning, but we'll kind of take it in, in big chunks. So uh, we're going to read the first eight verses of chapter eight to start with. Here's what it says. It says, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah, uh, on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashem. This is not easy work right here. Hash Badanah. That's my, that's my best effort at that one. All right. Zechariah and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, 
the great Ezra blessed Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, more names, buckle up. Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Masieh, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peleah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. And they read from the book and from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. All right, so here, let me give you my big idea this morning up front. Okay, I'm going to give it to you. So if you like check out, uh, if you're updating your fantasy team or whatever here in the next few minutes, I'm giving you my, my upfront point so you got it. Everything else this morning is going to fall under this, okay? Big point is this. God's word forms God's people, right? God's word forms God's people. Okay, so to, to set the scene, what you got going on here, uh, it says that all the people are, um, the, the wall's complete and all the people kind of gather in the town square, Right? And, and you got to remember the context here. They've just been like exiled. They've been living away from Jerusalem. Now they're all finally back together in kind of the, the downtown square, 50-ish thousand people, if we're taking these numbers that, that we see here. And it's like, okay, the wall's done. Now it's time to rebuild our lives. Where do we start? And where do they start? With God's word. Right? Notice it's, if you look back at verse 1, it says, uh, and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra to bring the book of the law. All right, so book of the law, basically that's the first five books of the Bible that, that you're holding in your hands this morning. Jewish people call it the Torah. Sometimes it's called the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's, that's it, right? But what I want you to notice, it's the people who ask for it. Right? It's, not, it's not Ezra uh, the priest and the Nehemiah, it's not them like saying, hey, you heathens, gather around. Right? <laughs> Listen to the word. Right? This is the people. Right? They're, they're a broken people living in a, a, a broken city. It's got the wall up, but the rest of the city uh, is still pretty much in, in shambles. Okay? And the people say, it's time to rebuild our lives. Where do we start? Hey, Ezra, bring the book of, of the law. All right? And the text goes on to say in verse uh, three, four, verse three. It says that, that from early morning until midday, the people just stand there as Ezra reads the law. All of a sudden, a 40-minute sermon doesn't sound that bad, does it? But, but like, and he's just reading it at this point. Like, he's not even like preaching it. He's not even explaining it. They do some of that later on, but but from early morning and midday, it says Ezra just, Ezra just reads the book of the law and the people just stand there, right? They, they are, they're tuned in. Like the, the, verse four, I'm sorry, verse three. It says, and the ears of all the people were attentive. So from early morning until midday, Ezra's just opening the book. It wasn't even a book. It was probably a scroll, right? Ezra's opening the, the book of the law, reading from a scroll, a series of scrolls, and the people are like locked in, tuned in. Nobody's dozing off. They're attentive to, to the word. Right? And I think all of this just indicates that you've got a people here who were hungry for God's word, right? Hungry for God's word. And, and so 
Remember, the big overarching point is, is God's word forms God's people. And here you've got people that are hungry for the word. And so I would just pause on the story here and ask this question to you. Right? Are you hungry for God's word? Right? Are you hungry for it? Are you, like, do you have a hunger for the Bible, the scriptures? And I'm talking to, to God's people here. So this is those that would say, I have... Right, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. You have a hunger for the word of God. Right, do you have an increasing desire to, come, to grow in your knowledge, in your understanding, in your comprehension, uh, and even beyond that, an increasing desire to, to grow in um, like application and obedience of God's word? Right, do you actually believe what Jesus said in Matthew chapter four? Jesus is being tempted right, in, in the desert. And his, his first response to, uh, to Satan's temptation is that, hey, man cannot live on bread and bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And from there, Jesus goes on to use scripture to kind of combat or respond to Satan's temptations. Like, do you believe that? That man cannot live on bread alone, but, but we actually need to feast on God's word. Right, because here's like my... Here's kind of my like fear for us in the Bible Belt, or maybe for those of us that kind of grew up in church, right? I'm I'm one of them. So are you. Let's just praise the Lord. <laughs> um, like one of my fears for us is that like we like the idea of God's word more than we actually hunger for God's word. Right? What I what I mean by that is. And so I think sometimes it's easy for us, like we want to know God's word to the extent that we can quote a few verses here and there. Like if someone like puts us on the spot and they're like, what's your favorite Bible verse? You want to have something to say other than John 3.16? You know what I mean? Right? And then like, or, or maybe we want to know God's word to the extent that we can like just smash somebody on Facebook with like some backhanded like Bible rebuke. Okay? And, and yet like, we can want that and yet not actually want God's word to like transform and shape our lives. Right? There's a difference between having like head knowledge and, and understanding of God's word and then actually letting God's word like, like penetrate your heart and, and transform you and change you and let your life be shaped and formed by it. Like those are, those are two different things. Now listen, knowledge and understanding is good. I would say like you've got to have that before you get to the other part. Right? But I'm just saying, like, like those are two different things. Right? To, to hunger for God's word, to long for it, to desire it, to, to want it to shape and transform your life, right? Is, is to be kind of like King David, man after God's own heart. Right? Not a perfect man, but a man after God's own heart. Wrote an entire Psalm, 119. It's probably like smack dab in the middle of your Bible if you were to open it. And the whole Psalm, is just David, like, just delighting in God's word. He's like, he's saying, like, God, I love your law. I delight in it. I meditate on it. I hunger for it. Like, I just want to eat it up. Right? To, to desire God's word, to hunger for God's word, is to, is to be like King David, is to delight and meditate and want it to transform you. But to, to just want to know God's word to the extent that you can just kind of know a lot about it and impress some people, like, is, isn't that what Pharisees were? 
Right? The Pharisees in the New Testament, the ones that Jesus like constantly banged heads with. Like they were smart dudes. They knew the word. Right? They could they had memorize like, the whole book of the law that Ezra and Nehemiah are reading here. Like those guys most likely had it memorized, could just quote it. And yet all the head knowledge and all the understanding never actually like transformed their hearts. That's so what I'm getting at. Is like, do you hunger for the word in such a way that it goes beyond just sort of like intellectual assent and actually like transforms and shapes your heart, which in, in, in turn transforms and shapes your lives? Do you, do you hunger for God's word? So let that simmer for a second. But jump back in in verse 9. It says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Right? Pause there again for a second. So the big overarching point, right? God's word forms God's people. Okay, and so what I want to spend kind of the, the rest of our time looking at it is really kind of answering the question, how? If God's word forms God's people, and it does, like how does it actually do that? How does God's word shape and form and transform our lives? And I think the, we see the first thing right here in, in this verse is that God's word confronts God's people. Right? God's word confronts God's people. The the verse we just read, it says that the, all the, as they gather and they're reading the law, uh, Nehemiah tells them, hey, do not mourn or weep because all the people wept as they heard the law read to them. Okay, because as they stood and listened to this law being, being read to them, this law that they knew, what they had to face was the reality of how woefully short they had fallen of God's law, of God's standard. Right, the, so just so we're, again, so we're on the same page. The, the law that they're reading, first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, that book, okay, Genesis is all about um, the, how God created and shaped and formed a people for himself. Right, you got the actual God spoken in creation, then you trace it on down to Abraham. And from Abraham, God's going to create a nation of people for himself. That's the nation of Israel. Follow that through the book of of Genesis, then you get to the book of Exodus, and that's God's people find themselves enslaved. And so Exodus is the story of God's people being um, like, like God reaching in and sort of graciously, generously saving his people from um, slavery in Egypt, and not only saving them, but sustaining them in the wilderness. Right? They're roaming around in the wilderness without food or drink, and so God's providing for them while they're roaming around. He's sustaining them. Okay, then he gives them the law in Exodus 20. Uh, the Ten Commandments, and, and from there, kind of from Exodus 20 on through the end of, uh, in, in, into Leviticus, Deuteronomy, uh, is this, um, it's, it's God giving his law to people. When I say the law, it's God laying out for his people the parameters. For here's how I expect you to live in relationship with me vertically, and how I expect you to live in relationship with one another horizontally. Okay, that's basically what the law is. And so as these people stand here in, in the square and they're hearing this law read, they're just being reminded afresh, we failed at that. 
We failed at that. We failed at that. We failed at that. Because that's how they got to this place. Right? The, the reason they ended up in exile and separated from uh, one another, separated from the city of Jerusalem, was because of their disobedience. Right? God told them time and time and time again throughout the law, as you, you read through those first five books of the Bible, would constantly tell them, hey, hey, this is how I expect you to live. There are consequences when you fail to live according to my law. And one of those consequences is that you would be separated. You'd be, I'd give you over into the hands of your enemies. And because God keeps his word, that's what he does. Right? The, the people are pretty terrible at keeping God's law. Right? We haven't gotten much better several thousand years later. Okay? The people are terrible at keeping God's law. And so God keeps his word, hands them over to their enemies. Right? That's, how they, that's how they ended up where they were. And so as they're hearing this law, they're being reminded of how short they have, have fallen. Right? They're confronted with the reality that they have not kept God's word. And so I would just, again, press pause on this story. And a point of application here is just to ask you, like, when was the last time God's word confronted you? When was the last time God's word confronted you? Let me, let me give you a couple of verses from 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. Paul's writing this to Timothy, kind of his protege in ministry. And Paul says, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's inspired by God. It's his word. And it's profitable for teaching. Yes. We love that part, right? I give that part to us, pastor. Preach the word. Right? But the text doesn't stop there. Because it says, yes, all scriptures breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching. But it goes on. It says, it's also profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, right? that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So I want, you to, I want you to think about what's being said here. Yes, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's inspired by God. It's, it's his word. But if God's word is what makes man complete, then the implication is that you and I are not complete. Like we don't have it all together. We need reproof. We need correction. We need to be trained in righteousness. Right? If, and I would even point out that here it talks about the man of God being equipped and trained and needing reproved and corrected. Like it's easy to be like, look at the world out there and be like, they just need God's word. And they do. You know who else needs God's word? You do. Because you need to be reproved and corrected and trained. And I need to be reproved and corrected and trained so that we, as God's men and women, would be complete and equipped for every good work. And so I would just, just put it this way. If you're reading God's word the way that it's meant to be read, like it should confront you with some things. Right? If you're reading God's word with the kind of meekness and humility and reverence that, that like we should, like there's, there should be some times where like it kind of rubs you the wrong way a little bit. Right? And what that's doing is revealing areas in you that need to be sanded off because you've got some rough edges 
and I've got some rough edges. And it's the word of God that confronts those rough edges and says like, hey, not that way, but, but this way. Not this way, but that way. And this is what the, the word of God does. It, it confronts God's people, right? It, it, it shows us, it's like a mirror. And it shows us just how painfully short we fall of God's standard of holiness. It confronts us in that. But listen, the good news is not just that it confronts us. Right? Because this is kind of my second sort of subpoint. God's word not only confronts God's people, but God's word comforts God's people. Jump back in verse 10. So the people were weeping and they were mourning because they've been confronted by God's word. Then verse 10 it says, Then Nehemiah said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people. I love that. They, they, they calm, right? Comfort. The Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Right? In their sort of tears and snot and weeping and grieving, right? Nehemiah's like, hey, there'll be a time for that. All right, that'll be chapter nine. We'll look at some of that next week. All right, but, but not now because this is a day of, of rejoicing. Do not be grieved. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Right? And I think that's a significant phrase. So let me kind of unpack that a little bit. What Nehemiah is doing here okay, is reminding them that, that even in their sin and in their rebellion, that God had acted mightily on their behalf right, to, to restore them into right relationship with himself. Right? Because again, you get backtrack how they got here, right? This is the story. They, they were exiled because of their ongoing, continual disobedience and sin and rebellion. And so God said, all right, if that's the way you're going to live, I'm going to hand you over to your enemies. And that's what he, that's what he did, right? Just as kind of Adam and Eve were sent away from the Garden of Eden, right? The people are sent away from Jerusalem, which was kind of the kind of the, the, the marker, the place of God's presence among his people. That's where the temple was. That's where, where uh, God dwelled among his people, and God sends him out. It's like this physical representation of a spiritual reality. Right? Because of your sin, rebellion, disobedience, you're being separated from me. You're being sent out. Okay, But then here in Nehemiah, they're, they're gathered back together. Why? Not because of anything awesome that they've done. Right? It wasn't like the people were exiled out in the surrounding areas and just were like, you know what? We need to make Jerusalem great again. Let's go get them. Take it back. No, no. God says, no, I'm, I'm going to bring you back into this place. It's God who acted mightily for them. It's God who turned the king's heart for them. It's God who acted to bring them back into the city, into his presence. And what Nehemiah is, is reminding them is like, hey, you don't need to grieve. Yes, yes, you've sinned, you've rebelled, you've disobeyed, but look at how gracious your God is. He's brought you back to this place, right? Again, a physical representation of a spiritual reality that, 
that despite their sin and shame and brokenness, that, that God had worked to reconcile and to restore his people to himself. Right? It was his good pleasure to do so. It wasn't because he looked at them exiled in the nations and was like, you know what? I'm giving you guys parole and good behavior. Come on back. No, it wasn't that at all. It's God acting of his own good pleasure to bring his people back into, into this place. Okay, and so I, I would say that, that God's word comforts us in the same way today. Right? God's word comforts us today. It, it reminds us that even in our sin, even in our rebellion, even in our disobedience, like while we were at our worst, right, that, that God delighted out of his own good pleasure to reconcile us to himself, to restore us into a right relationship with him. Here's what Romans 5.8 says. If you've got a church background, you know it. Right? God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? This is where the word comforts us today, that while we were still sinners, God didn't look down from heaven and be like, mm, you're going to have to get that act cleaned up, then I might think about saving you. Right, you're going to have to get rid of that thing, and then I might think about saving you. No, it's while we were still sinners, like even like at our worst. And I don't know what worst looks like for you. Right, like I've got a story, you've got a story. Right? Worst may, may look a little different. In God's eyes, it's all like well short of his standard of holiness, regardless of whether it's like, the worst, worst, or it's just kind of like you grew up in church and you're a pretty good kid and you told a lie once, worst. You know what I mean? Like regardless of what worst looks like for you, it's all sin, it's all falling woefully short of God's standard of holiness. And yet while we were at our worst, still sinners, God sent forth his son of his own good pleasure. Again, not because he looked at us and was like, hey, those people have got it going on pretty good. No, God of his own good pleasure sent forth his only son so that whoever believes, whoever trusts, whoever receives Jesus by faith right, should not perish, should not die, should not be exiled or separated from him, but should have eternal life, reconciled into a right relationship with God for all of eternity. Right? That's how God's word comforts us still today, by, by reminding of that truth. The, the good news of the gospel is how the word comforts us today. And so that brings me to this. So the people here have been reminded at this point that, that, that despite their sin, their disobedience, their rebellion, that, that God has restored and reconciled them into a right relationship with himself. And so I would just ask you this question. How do, you, how do, you, how do we know we've been restored and reconciled into a relationship with God. Like, how do we know that? And I would say that brings us to kind of, I want to read the last, starting in verse 13, the last, what is it, five, six verses. Point out something to you really quickly. It says, On the second day of the heads of the father's houses of all the people, with the priests, the Levites, came together, to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. So, so here's what's happening. This is day two. So day one, they read for like a quarter of the day, maybe half the day. 
All right, day two, it says the heads of the households come back to study some more, right? Because they hunger for the word. They come back, verse 14, and they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem, go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So here, here's what's happening. They come back for day two. They're like, we hunger for this word. We, like, we want to understand it. We want to meditate on it. We want it to transform our lives. So they give themselves to the study of God's word. And what they come across here is this explicit command, something that God requires them to do according to his law. And what do they do? Verse 16. So the people went out. And they brought them and they made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square of the water gate and, the gate, or, and in the square of the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths for from the days of Jeshua to the son of Nun to the day the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. Right? Oversimplified as the people studied the word, received the word, saw what the word commanded them to do, they obeyed it. Right? They obeyed it. And so I would, I would just say, like, here's the greatest evidence that, that you and I can have that we have been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. The greatest evidence we can have is our obedience. Right? Our obe Here's what Jesus says. John 14, verse 15. Says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Right? So we're talking about having like, how do, how do you know you've been reconciled and restored to God? I would just say this. Do you have a desire to obey him? That's pretty good evidence. Right? Like a life that has been sort of confronted by God's word and also comforted by the good news of the gospel is a life marked by ongoing, increasing obedience to God's word. I, I use those two words on purpose. Right? Ongoing means that a life that has really been transformed by the gospel like will continue over the long haul to be more and more transformed by God's word. Right? Well, I'm, I'm talking about like a, like a two-week window here. Right? Like, I used to be in youth ministry. This was a youth ministry thing. It was like, go to church camp, Thursday night at church camp. It's like, here's all my sins. I'm confessing them. I'm laying them down. I'm turning away. And then by the time school started back two weeks later, they were like, I, don't, I mean, do I really have to obey that area? What I'm talking about is ongoing obedience, but it's imperfect obedience, right? Ongoing, imperfect obedience, right? I think the word I use is increasing. In other words, like from the moment you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you begin to like consume the word and be, be transformed by the word, right? Hopefully you're obeying not only over the long haul, but hopefully your obedience gets a little better over the long haul, right? Early on, you're, it's like a baby, right? Early on, you're just kind of crawling, 
Maybe you stand up, take a few steps, and then you just all right, fall on your face. But eventually, you should be kind of like, okay, I can take a few steps now. Right? A little on further down the road, it's like, hey, maybe I can like walk across the room. A little further down the road, it's like, you know what? I can run. Right? A, a life that's been really transformed by the good news of Jesus is one that's, that over time is going to like ongoing, increasing obedience to God's word. Right? It's, it's striving. And I want to be really careful here. I'm not saying that as we obey, like Jesus loves us more. That is not what I'm saying. That's legalism. What I'm saying is like, because God loves you, because you are saved wholly by grace, because there's nothing you can do to earn it, like out of an overflow of that, out of a, an appreciation and love and, and worship for God's generosity and graciousness shown to you, you desire to obey him. I, I, the only example I know to give people in this is I, I usually use uh, the illustration of my wife, okay? Like, I don't think I have to like work and work and work to please her and make her love me. Right? But because I know that she loves me, I know that she sacrifices a great deal for me. I want to do things that please her. Right? And, and it's not a perfect illustration, but it's similar, right? We, we obey God's word out of an overflow. Like it's an act of worship. It's not to earn anything from God, but it's because we say, God, this is what you have done for me. You've saved me. This is how you love me. This is how you've uh, you extended grace to me. And I want to walk in obedience to your word. Right? It's, it's striving day after day to grow in obedience, right? to grow more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. And, and in the moments when you fail, and there are moments when you will fail, like you will just blow it royally. All right? It's, I probably had three to five this morning. Okay? It's a long day ahead, too. But in those moments when you blow it, right? You plead the blood of Jesus. You rest in his grace that is sufficient for your weakness. Right? Sufficient to cover all of your sin, past, present, future. You rest in God's grace and you keep moving forward. Right? Proverbs says a righteous man falls seven times and what does he do? Gets back up. Right? You, you get back up and you say, man, I failed at that. I'm going to try to I'm going to try to do that differently next time. Right? And it's that pattern over the course of a lifetime. Like that's what it looks like to be transformed by the good news of Jesus. Right? To strive, to grow in obedience, to plead the grace of Jesus when you fall short, and to believe and trust that God who began a good work in you will see it to completion. Right? He will see it to completion. And so as we kind of land the plane this morning. Here, here's, here's where I would start. Is this true of you? Specifically, specifically, have you believed the good news of the gospel? Have you, have you trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Is your life marked by ongoing but imperfect 
obedience to him, right? Increasing obedience the, the longer you walk with him. And if so, if you're like, yes, that's me, right? You're like, yes, I, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I, I trusted in that. My life is not perfect, but man, I'm striving, I'm trying. And I would say, praise God. And I would say, you're invited to the table here this morning. Just as we looked earlier how Nehemiah, and he was saying, like, hey, today's not a day of mourning or grieving. You need to go ahead and dry out those tears. Today's a, a day of celebration and rejoicing. If you trusted in Jesus Christ, like, you have a reason to rejoice. Now, maybe you came in here this morning, you're just like stumbling in. And, and it's, it's the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ that will hold you up. And I would say you're invited to the table Right, to, to eat and drink like the people in Nehemiah did. You're invited to eat and drink. And, and what we have here is just the, the cup uh, that, that represents Jesus' blood shed for you, the little uh, styrofoam cracker. It's not really styrofoam. That's just what it tastes like. Um, that, that's not sacrilegious, guys. It's okay. I feel like you guys are uncomfortable about that when you're like, I don't know if we can. Right, it's a cracker. It just represents what Christ has done for us, his body broken for us. Hey, and I would say if you've trusted in Jesus, come. Here in just a minute, Zach's going to come up and lead us in a song of response. Uh, here's what I would encourage you to do. Come and get these elements. If you trusted in the, the, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, if that's your story, right, take them back to your seat. We will receive them all together in just a moment. But, but as you're in your seat, I would encourage you to think. Right, are there places where, where God's word is kind of pressed on you confronted you and you're like, man, I, I need to repent and walk in obedience to that because I haven't been. Right? You take a moment. That's, that's between you and the Lord. Right? I don't know your heart. He does. Trust the Spirit would kind of work in that way. Right? So that's for those of you that have trusted Jesus. For those maybe here and you, and you haven't trusted in Jesus. Maybe you can't remember a time where you were like, Yes, I put my faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, then, then here's what I would ask of you. I, I would just ask for you to abstain, right? Hold off, don't, don't come get these. Nobody's gonna look and judge and like point fingers or laugh. like, no, that's not happening here this morning. Okay, but, but this is for those who have trusted in Jesus. So if you're here this morning, you're like, I don't think I've done that. Or maybe you just don't know. You're like, I don't, something happened when I was like five or six. I can't really remember it, I'm not sure. I would just say, hold off. But I would, I would encourage you to see that, not as like a, a separation, but as an invitation to come, right? To, to come speak to myself, right? I, I could put you in contact with any number of people in this room. We would love nothing more this morning than to explain to you what it means to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, for the promise of eternal life, so that this time next month, you come and partake with us as a member of God's family. All right, so I invite you to go ahead and stand, if you would. We're going to pray together. As always, I'll be down front if you need to pray. If you want to have a conversation, either now or even at the end of service, we'd love to do that, but let's pray together. Zach's going to lead, and then you can come grab those elements as you're ready, and we'll, we'll receive them together in just a moment. Father, we come to you this morning, uh, and we are, are grateful for your word. Um, it, is, it is through your word that you have chosen to reveal 
yourself to us, all that you desire for us to know about you, all that you um, or desire for us to, to do as your people. Uh, you've made clear and known to us through your word. And so, uh, Father, we're thankful for your word that, that should and, and hopefully does shape and form us. Um, Lord, this morning, I, I pray that we would, we would see with clear eyes where your word uh, confronts. Lord, maybe there's in, in this moment, uh, you, your spirit would begin to connect some dots for the people in this room and, and or maybe see areas of their lives that, that are not in line with what you, uh, what you call them to. Maybe there's places where they're living uh, in disobedience, living in rebellion to your good and perfect law. And, and if that's the case, Lord, I pray that you would, uh, you would bring conviction. Or the, just always feel compelled to remind us that conviction is a good thing. It's you reminding us of what you uh, call us to and inviting us to return to it. So Lord, as you confront us with your word, confront areas of our lives that are not conformed to your word, I pray that we would uh, respond to that conviction with repentance. We thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ that makes our repentance possible. Lord, thank you for the grace and mercy that is lavished on us where we and when we try to do our own thing and be our own gods and you just kind of gently and kindly remind us that, or that, that you are God and that you are sovereign and that you are Lord. Um, so Father, would you remind us of that this morning? And then like just on the, the heels of that conviction, I pray that we would just be comforted. Uh, just be reminded that, uh, Lord, that, that Jesus did not come in this world to condemn the world, but that in order that the world might be saved through him. So may we receive that comfort this morning as we come forward, those of us that have trusted in Jesus to, to take the bread and the juice would be, be reminded that there is no condemnation, none, for those who are in Jesus Christ. That all of our sin was paid for in full at the cross. And so may we, um, Lord, where, where we are, where we've trusted in that, may we come with, with confidence Receive these elements knowing that, um, Lord, that you love us, that you have lavished us again in your grace and mercy. And Father, if there's any here this morning that has never trusted in you, maybe this morning they're just kind of, the warning lights are going off, like they're realizing it for the first time. Maybe, maybe their lives have not been marked by a whole lot of obedience. Or whatever the case is, I, I just pray if there's one here this morning that, has never trusted in you as Savior, or maybe has just kind of lived their whole life assuming they have, but now they're like, man, I don't know. Um, Lord, I, I pray that, that you would prompt them, lead them to, to not leave this building this morning without having a conversation with, uh, with, with myself or with uh, maybe somebody they came with about what it means to, to follow Jesus Christ and to put, your trust, put their trust in, in him. I trust your spirit would work this morning. pray that you'd be honored uh, in our response and in our worship. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.